What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been a part of the site since 2015 in various administrative capacities, really since since 2015. Um, most importantly, these days, I am the minor league editor as well as the deputy site manager. You can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K, and this is going to be a special Friday night recording of Road to Atlanta because the draft is upon us. These are going to be our final pre-draft thoughts. Uh, I will go ahead and tell you now it's a good chance that we won't run the full length of time that we normally do on this podcast, but I did want to make sure we get our final thoughts out there, reviewed a couple things that have kind of come out over the last week or so since we last recorded, and joining me is the great Matt Powers, who spearheads our draft coverage here over at Talking Shop. Matt, how are you, my man? Great. I mean, we're, what, 48 hours or so away from the three most exciting days of the year to me, so it's almost like Christmas as a child. Yeah, Matt's a big, big draft guy. Like, we hear about the draft, like, multiple dra- years of draft classes ahead from Matt on a regular basis in the in our group chat. He's just, that's he lives, breathes, and dies the draft. And, you know, last year with it being five rounds was kind of a real kick in the gut on a number of levels, too, just because there wasn't much minor league baseball. There wasn't amateur baseball to really follow. It was a tough year for Matt. It was a tough year for all of us. And we're really kind of glad to be able to get back to it, to be able to actually cover the draft, talk about the draft in kind of more normal terms. However, there have been some changes. And before we kind of get into the the nitty gritty of, you know, who the Braves are going to pick, who's being connected to them, et cetera, et cetera, I want to cover some basics because I think that there are some of our listeners that like don't know this information, may not be fully aware of it. That So that way they kind of understand what what's, what's happening going into this draft because I think that a lot of people, when I get questions, it's like, you know, like, why don't they just do, you know, go over slot and get this guy or why don't they just do play, you know, play games or trade picks or et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of want to cover some basic things. First is that the Braves pick, pick 24th overall in the first round. After that, they there's no comp, compensatory picks, no extra first round picks or anything like that. They didn't lose any guys in free agency and they're not getting any of those picks, you know, for being, a, you know, a revenue sharing team, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no extra picks involved. After that, after that first round, they pick around the 24th range. You know, there's some teams that like lost picks in those early rounds that kind of change the order of things a little bit. But generally speaking, you're, you're, it's in that bottom third of of the draft of each round that you're going to find where the Braves are going to be picking. Um, so, and this is going to be over the course of a 20 round draft. Now, historically speaking, at least relatively recent history. It's good. It has been a 40 round draft last year because of COVID and all that stuff. It went to a five round draft, which was awful <laughs> for, for a number of reasons, but they did manage to uh, extend it back out to a 20 round draft, which with the condensed roster sizes and things like that makes a certain amount of sense. I'm very curious as to how that kind of impacts team strategies in terms of who they kind of target early on 
who they target in the kind of those day two picks? Are they going to be the same sort of senior signs? And are the are the importance of those day three picks going to be higher because you don't have just kind of like those throwaway picks in rounds like twenty five through forty where you're just kind of like randomly throwing draft picks at guys and hoping that you can sign them for really cheap. Their bonus pool is the fifth lowest in the entire league at six million three hundred twenty six thousand and three hundred dollars. Now, again, this is a, mostly a product of just the fact that they are just drafting really low in the bottom of the first round, and they don't have those compensatory toy picks because the way that they cut, get to that number is that for the first 10 rounds, they assign a slot value per pick. So if you're picking lower in each round, you're going to get the lowest amount in each round. That compounds over the course of a 10-round draft. And since, again, you don't have those kind of like those supplemental first-round picks and things like that to kind of boost up your total bonus pool, that's kind of where it leaves the Braves kind of towards the bottom. Now – I want to ask you, Matt, in terms of it being a 20-round draft this year, again, because they seem like they are a, a team that would need to fill some roster spots in the lower minors so that maybe they might be more willing to sign or draft guys that they really want to try to sign in those later rounds, like those rounds 15 through 20, as opposed to kind of just those throwaway, you know, tracking-type picks or, you know, like draft draft the son of a former major leaguer types and things like that. But overall, what do you think that the differences in strategy are going to be when it comes to it being a 20-round draft for most teams versus it being a 40-round draft? I don't really think it's going to change all that much. I mean, this year is going to be very different for not for the 20-round draft, but because there's so much missing data from last year. I mean, obviously, very little summer leagues know 2020 seasons for any guys or at least extremely short 2020 seasons. So it's not quite the same. Plus, these guys are all coming off a long layoff. Uh, high schoolers are were scouted more than the college guys just because there were much more high school events going on last summer than uh, premium college events with top talent facing similar top talent where the high school guys in those events were top talent facing top talent. So I think the high school guys got more looks. So it might favor the high school guys more than the college guys little in general over the course of this draft. I don't really think that's necessarily going to play in going forward. I think that's just a product of the weird last year and a half that we've had. But uh, assuming that everything was completely normal, I don't really see many changes in the first 10 rounds or so where teams are really working within the bonus pool. Uh, beyond that, they might try to get some additional overslot guys or use the full um, maximum allowed that before it counts against the bonus pool on day three, which is now shorter. You might see less teams willing to use roster filler spots in rounds 11 through 20 than you would in the past. I mean, even the Braves, even in their uh, strong 2019 day three, did use some roster filler overall. So I think it's a matter of balancing out between rounds 11 and 20, how much money is left, how much, how many overslot or slot guys that are legitimate prospects versus how many org guys are you getting that have some chance to possibly be something more. So I don't really think it's going to be a significant change at all other than you might see a couple less legitimate enough prospects not get drafted just because there's fewer rounds. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a little bit of team-to-team distinctions, right? Because typically what happens is that the first, I would say the first four to five rounds is where teams kind of like make the picks that they really want to make. And then picks six, like the sixth round on, you'll see some variance here. 
But re- the sixth round on typically are the senior signs where you're signing guys for like the bare minimum so that you can save month those the slot values on those picks to be able to pay for your earlier picks. Again, makes all the sense in the world that why that wouldn't change. And then typically what we saw on day three that the kind of the big names of guys that maybe were more talented than what you'd normally pick on day three, those are where you're kind of the like the we like the weirder overslot signings typically happen. Um, they're certainly less profile than let's say a guy like going over slot in round three or four to kind of get a guy who is maybe a second round talent, but maybe you get a guy who like by talent was, you know, a top 100 guy or a top 150 guy. And you manage to kind of steal him away from a, a college commitment with a day three bonus. I don't think that changes much. Like those that rounds 11, 12 and 13 range. I think that those picks are going to be relatively the same. Now, after that, I think it comes down to how much space is left on minor league rosters, because I think there's plenty of teams that simply will, would argue that they do not have roster space on their minor league rosters and like guys that they want to trim off those rosters to replace with day three picks. Now, I think the Braves are in a position where they can load up on guys and maybe sign the vast majority of their draft class because between their Florida Coast League team and the Augusta Green Jackets, I think that there's enough spots to find guy, find spots for guys that that doesn't necessarily impact them as much. But in terms of there's, I'm certain there's other teams that kind of once that the consolidation of the minor leagues happened, that the, the roster crunch was already tough enough that they're not going to be wanting to like, you know, they might not even want to sign 20 guys. Maybe they want to stick with, you know, just 11 or 12 and then the rest are just, they, they draft like unsignable guys or, you know, basically guys that they don't really want to, to, to roster at all. So again, we'll see how that plays out in terms of how teams ultimately do that. But I am a little bit curious as to kind of see like which teams end up like really loading up on real talent, like real talent in the you know 15 to 20 range. All of that said, I don't think my suspicion anyway, is that there's not gonna be a ton of change. It just kind of, again, there's just gonna be a less of those kind of those filler sorts of picks that are happening at the bottom of the, like that of the day three. And again, those picks generally don't matter a whole lot. You will certainly get value there. And the Braves have been particularly good about getting value with those picks. But my suspicion again is that this is not that's not going to happen as much. That there's just not going to be as many teams trying to do that, and instead they might just instead just kind of pivot to the undrafted free agent market, which would be I think a little bit more interesting this go around uh, as opposed to the kind of guys they end up getting you know their rights claimed in, with like a 30 second round pick or whatever. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about how our draft coverage is going to go this weekend. Um, we've already done. A ton of work on the draft. Uh, I had our draft primer go up early in June that kind of goes through all the basic information about where the Braves are picking, what their bonus pool is, you know, like the early mock draft information we had, kind of how the draft works, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we've kind of gone, we've covered all the mock drafts. If you want to see, like, if you want to take a look at, you know, where the mock drafts have been landing with the Braves, you know, over the course of the last few months, we have all that information on Talking Chop. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some sort of mock draft roundup that happens where we kind of collect all that information together so you can look at it all in one place. Uh, Wayne had an article go up very recently that's kind of like a review of the like the D2 guys. Uh, Wayne, Wayne will not pass up an opportunity to talk about D2 uh, college guys that are eligible for the draft, and he has a, neat, a great little preview that went up. I had an article go up that kind of talks about the local products from the state of Georgia. Given the, I, It's not quite as bad as it used to be, but the Braves have certainly liked to kind of shop in their own backyard in terms of players and things like that. So it reviews some of the top guys that are in Georgia, not just the first-round guys, but also some guys that are maybe in some later rounds that are still pretty highly valued uh, and also matt has been really really hard at work and the last piece goes up tomorrow uh, where he's gone position by position ranking the prospects and kind of doing short write-ups on a lot but 
I would say like the top two thirds of whatever his list is roughly, uh, ends up going to write-ups, uh, where he kind of gives you a little blurb as to what those players are about and why he likes them or doesn't like them. Uh, and so you will be all set going in to the draft knowing, at least having the resources available to you about what, what these, who these players are. The first round, these are going to be pretty well known commodities, but as we kind of get into the, the day two and day three, those resources, especially the ones that Matt's been putting out over the last few weeks, are going to be invaluable. You can just go looking like, hey, who is this guy? Do, you know, do, you know, do you guys like them? Why or why not? Et cetera, et cetera. Is this a, you know, is this a little earlier or later than we thought he was going to go? Et cetera, et cetera. All great stuff. Now, in terms of the draft itself, the way this is going to work is that each pick rounds one through five is going to have an individual specific write-up for them. So we're going to have specific write-ups on the, the picks round through one for five. Uh, we're going to do kind of group up the picks from six through ten because, again, our suspicion is that a lot of those are going to be senior signs. We'll make notes in the in that post, you know, like, hey, actually, this guy's a like a legitimate real prospect and not just a regular sort of senior sign type. But generally, it's going to be like the day two wrap-up post is going to be round six through ten, kind of going over those picks. There is going to be a draft track. A draft pick tracker that's going to be pinned to the, top, the front page of the site that uh, our lovely boss Chris Willis is going to be manning over the course of the three days. Kind of just again, that's just going to be a list of picks. Uh, we might do our best to kind of like put some links in there so you can like look at our individual write-ups there uh, as they happen. Uh, and then there's also a, going to be a group post at the end of day three, recapping rounds 11 through 20 and kind of going through all those picks, who they are, why we like them, why we don't like them, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of what you can expect from Talking Chop this coming these next few days. But now we need to get to talking about the draft. Matt, if you're looking at this draft class as a whole, what do you think of the draft class overall? Like if you had to put a grade on it, you know, A, B or whatever, you know, where would you put it? And kind of what's the demographic that we think that you think anyway, that the Bra- the Braves are going to dip into with their pick in the first round. So this draft by, at least according to other people, is criticized as below average. I think I'm a little higher on it than most, but it's definitely not a great draft, maybe a C grade as a whole. I think one of the biggest issues, and it's going to be one that affects the Braves, is I don't really think that there's 24 legitimate, let alone 30 legitimate, first-round grade guys in this draft. So... Obviously, Braves having the 24th pick, you're probably going to be reaching a little, whether it's on a safety type of pick or a higher risk upside play, uh, which obviously leads into the next question. At this point, obviously this can change if somebody that I'm not expecting to be there is there, but I'm feeling pretty confident, maybe an 80% chance that we're going to see a college arm. Probably not, well, almost definitely not the way I would personally pick that based on how I predict the board to set up at that point. But it it just seems that that's how the Braves seem to be leaning and where they see value in this draft. But I wouldn't say it's 100% to happen either. And if someone falls, that changes everything, obviously. Yeah, this is an interesting draft, and I was on the media call with uh, Kylie McDaniel from ESPN yesterday, and I asked that question. I said, you know, like, are the Braves being tied to college pitching because that's where they think the best value is, or is it because that they they feel like that they really just want an ad in a college pitcher in this draft? And he seemed he seemed pretty adamant. He's like, you know, it just seems like that the Braves and a couple other play teams that are kind of drafting in that mid twenties range just see that they feel like when the board breaks down for them. 
to their pick that the best value in this draft is going to be a college pitcher. It's not necessarily that they're enamored with the college pitching in this class or anything like that. It's just kind of that's how the picks are going to line up this year. And I do think you're right, uh, just to kind of get to the second part of it, is I think that given the, all the names, we've heard a lot of the same names being mocked to and discussed as being connected to the Braves, and the vast majority of them are college arms. And again, we're seeing some certainly some differences. We had three mock drafts go up today, and three different players were taken. Now, they were all college arms in those mock drafts, but they were three different college arms. So it kind of speaks to the uncertainty of this draft. And to kind of get my general idea out there, I, I might be a little bit more bullish because I like the high school bats in this draft, and I think that there's more depth on the high school side. Uh, you have to kind of project a little bit on some of these kids in terms of like squinting your eyes and like wondering, but there's some real athleticism in this draft. There's some really live arms in this draft. I think that you're going to be able to get some value from high school arms. If you can get them away from college commitments, you can get some really talented kids in this draft. And, you know, the college bat situation is certainly pretty abysmal and the college arms are, I would say only okay. But you know, that, that depth in the high school cuts, like I'd go like a B minus, like it's certainly, it's just, it's, it's fine. You know what I mean? Overall. But I do think that there's places you can get value in this draft. And I think that day two is going to be really, really interesting in terms of how that breaks down. But you are right with just all the uncertainty in this draft. It's kind of what, you know, who is even going to be available when the Braves pick. And that uncertainty has to do with, you know, like how do you price in and how do you prepare for that lost development time that these college guys got, that these high school kids got, you know, how much did that really matter with the COVID shutdown? And you're going to have to like, you're going to have to really trust your scouting department. You're going to really have to trust player development. Like if you see something raw in a kid that's raw, but a kid that's also talented, you're going to have to take some chances on some guys to get some value out of this draft. Ultimately, how you price that in, in terms of like, you know, like we really think this kid could be really talented, but, you know, he really could use that year, you know, whether it be he needed time at the Cape, which is where there's going to be some guys when we talk about the specific Braves connections, like a Cape Cod League would have made a lot, I think Matt and myself feel a lot better about some of these guys, particularly some of the college bats, that if they had gotten that Cape Cod League and you saw him play with a wood bat and you saw him really perform well against higher levels of competition, you'd feel better about them picking him as opposed to kind of pricing in a lot of risk with them. And there's, you know, the same thing with high school kids. You just don't really, you know, you don't, with the, like the last time that happened, that happened with the COVID shutdown, it wasn't nearly as pronounced as it was in co- with college, but it's still something that you have to think about, right? You know, I have to think about like, you know, if they just, if things were normal, would, where would we consider this guy talent wise? Where do we think he would be? You know, if he had gotten that extra time, those extra reps, that extra coaching. And that's hard to really predict. It really, really is. And that's not a knock on anybody. And it's not really, a, it's not a particularly fair knock on this class. Because I think there's some guys that are really talented in this, this draft that are going to get drafted lower than they would have, significantly lower in some cases, if they had just gotten some gotten more time to develop or be able to showcase their skills against more like high profile competition. Uh, and again, that loss of data and that loss of you know that loss of development time, teams are that's what teams are figuring out right now. Like you know we really like this kid, you know, but based on what we see right now, is he a third round guy? Would he have been a first round guy? under other circumstances and what does that mean for where we're willing to pick them you know things like that those are all considerations that are happening right now and i do not envy them trying to make those decisions it's not as bad as last year where there's like literally no data and you just had to kind of hope for the best and pray for the worst and you know just and pray for the worst not to happen but ultimately there, this that loss of information is going to make that uncertainty and that uncertainty starts like in the middle of the first round because like from 50 15 to 50 there's not a lot separating those guys. And there's going to be some guys that are picked at 50 that have gotten first round like mentions. And I would not be shocked 
if like the Braves sit there at the end of round two and they have a like a guy who maybe he's not like a consensus first round guy, but there's like a, there's been certainly been some guy some talk about him sliding into the first round or something like that, gotten some mentions in some mock draft. There's gonna be some really talented guys there at, at the end of round two. And that's where things are going to get really interesting for us is to determine, like, you know, what is the Braves' strategy going to be? Are they going to have the money to really maybe make something happen with a guy who's fallen a little bit further than he planned on, particularly if it's a guy who's like a prep arm or a prep bat that, like, falls all of a sudden in the second round? You know, are they going to be able to pull the trigger and spend some money on a kid like that? We don't really know. Uh, but hopefully we'll we'll get some more on that soon. But before we kind of get into the specific guys who have been connected to the Braves, talking a little bit about who they are as players – and kind of where we're at with them, we're going to take a short break to listen to a word from our sponsors. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Matt, it is time to talk specific players on this podcast. All of these guys that we have on this list, and this list is in no really no real particular order. Like maybe there's a little bit of some some amount of like likelihood that they're picked is sort of kind of in there at points. But ultimately, these are kind of just the names that have repeatedly come up over the course of the, the spring and summer, you know, in mock drafts and just kind of the, the, the rankings and just kind of the, the general media that's coming out, things we've heard too. So we're, we're kind of talking, we're going to be talking a lot about college arms in this. There, it's not all college arms, though. There's definitely some college bats and even a couple of high school bats that we, we're going to want to talk about a little bit due to some recent information. But the name that has been, I think, mentioned the most, even if he wasn't mocked to the Braves, he seems to be mo- like mentioned in the write-ups the most, is Spencer Schwellenbach. So... And again, the guy's been named the most. He, is he a pitcher? He hasn't really pit, been pitched much as a, he hasn't pitched as a starter. Has been a reliever up there at Nebraska, but it's a really, really live arm. We don't know if he's going to be a, be a starter. He also plays shortstop, which is where I would prefer him to be. And I think that would be an interesting pick if he was picked as a shortstop. But it sounds like the Braves prefer him as a pitcher, which means you have to kind of like squint your eyes and wonder if he can be a, be a starter going forward. So, Matt, tell us a little bit about Spencer Schwellenbach and the year he's had and kind of where you're at with him. So he's obviously had a great year, the Big Ten Player of the Year, which uh, obviously not quite ACC, SEC, but it's among the stronger conferences beyond them. Uh, really good year all around, both closing games out. Obviously, he never started for Nebraska because he was their regular shortstop and they didn't want to take him off the field. So his only pitching experience is in relief. So any pick to be a pitcher has that extra risk of converting a lightly used, he wasn't lightly used this year, but lightly used pitcher over the course of his career because he really doesn't have a ton of pitching experience 
into a starter. Um, he played shortstop at Nebraska, but he's not going to be a shortstop if he was drafted as a bat. He just isn't athletic enough to do that. He's more of a third baseman with a big arm. Uh, he has a borderline plus fastball. I mean, the velocity is plus, but there's just not really that much life on the pitch. So it doesn't really play at quite the full 97, but it, it's still a borderline plus pitch. Uh, the rest of his pitches are the slider and the changeup that are more average-ish grade pitches than anything else. Not above average, but uh, you definitely at least have a workable profile with a potential plus pitch and two average pitches, and he throws strikes. So there is something in there to make him a starter. Um, obviously, there's a lot of projection involved because you're talking about a fairly lightly used reliever into a starter, and he doesn't have a second above-average pitch, which, at least without further development, looks like more of a back-end starter if he's even able to make that transition into a starter. Then, as a hitter, really his only plus tool there is that big throwing arm. Uh, he, he's not a plus hitter. He does not have plus power. He's an average runner as well, so... Again, a, a guy who's just pretty much average across the board with one standout tool, which is really the same tool both ways, but uh, that's the kind of player he is. Uh, maybe a guy that the Braves would have to hope does something more. Uh, there's a reason that both myself and my rankings, and which you'll, you'll see tomorrow, but um, he, everywhere else also ranks him a bit lower than 24th in their overall rankings. So uh, that would be the reasons why. So this is a tough one for me because I, I think I actually think more of him than you do. I think he's like an above average hitter and has like above average power. I'm with you on the run uh, and obviously the arm at third, if he's playing third base going forward, like that, that arm plays over there. I, I think that he'll end up being a good hitter. Uh, I, again, like putting, putting a plus grade on it and putting a plus grade on power, like we're kind of splitting hairs a little bit in terms of like what I think he could end up being. But I think that it's, I don't think that the choice with him is between average and plus. I think that he, like he can live in that kind of above average range. And as a guy who like knows how to play the game, has a good approach at the plate, I think he's like a guy who could end up being like greater than the sum of his parts tools wise, uh, as a hitter. Now as a pitcher, there's reason to be skeptical here, right? Because again, he's only been used as a reliever at Nebraska and you have to really kind of have to have a lot of confidence. You're like, look, we think this gets a starter and like you have to have a plan for him. I will say this is that if they pick Schwellenbach as a pitcher, I will respect it, but make no mistake. It is a risk because you're taking a guy who was a reliever with a live arm, doesn't have a lot of development and you're betting on your develop, your development team and you're betting on, you know, those minor league coaches to being able to turn him into a starter and doing that with a college arm is very risky. I'm not saying that it won't have payoffs. We've seen, I mean, like Nate Pearson's kind of a, like a more extreme example of this is kind of like a guy who had kind of a reliever profile that was picked very highly based on the strength of better stuff than what we're seeing out of Schwellenbach. But it's not like an impossible profile to kind of get to a guy that could have first round talent, but it's very, very risky. 
if you're doing that. And again, it's not like a guy who's throwing 90, 91 or anything like that. You're going to like go, you're, you're trying to like reach to turn up like a pitchability reliever into a pitchability starter. Like we think that there's a chance that he could end up being a special arm if he, you know, again, has a lot of work done and you have to really, really bet on that, which again would be pretty surprising to me. As a shortstop, I like him better than Matt does. I think that he's like an above average hitter with some above average power and maybe ends up being like better than the sum of his parts type. But as a, as an arm, it's a legitimate concern drafting him. Uh, the next guy is a guy that I don't think is going to be there for the, um, when the Braves pick because of his le- recent run in the College World Series. And that's, of course, uh, Mississippi State starter Will Bednar. And again, seems like that he's really kind of rocketed up prospect lists. He's getting a lot of consideration even in the middle of the first round. You know, it seems to me that, you know, recent comments are that if Will Bednar is there, the Braves will pick him. They seem to really like him. But if that's the case, you know, I'm a little bit lukewarm on it because I'm not sure if he's kind of the guy that I would want in that spot. But it, more importantly, it just doesn't seem likely that he's going to be there when the Braves pick. Uh, so, Matt, tell us a little bit about Will Bednar and where you're at with him. He's not my favorite pick. Uh, he's obviously got a pair of plus pitches, the fastball, the slider. He does have maybe an average change, and I say maybe average because he just doesn't use it often. And the command is, is about average. But he's got some effort in his delivery, so that's reliever risk, along with the third pitch reliever risk. He just seems more like a reliever to me. And he could be a good reliever, but I'm just not a fan of taking a reliever in the first round. The good news for the Braves is in the last couple of weeks, he's moved ahead of where the Braves pick. So I don't really expect him to be on the board and for us to be talking about a first-round reliever next week. Yeah, so... The next guy we're going to talk about a little bit here is Schwellenbach was mocked to the Braves in one of the mocks today. Again, this is the Friday before the draft, so this is kind of recent information. Another guy that was mocked to the Braves today is East Carolina uh, pitcher Gavin Williams, who's a guy that's been repeatedly mocked to the Braves, has a live arm, can touch triple digits. I still think it's debatable as to whether or not he ends up at 24 because I think he's better than that. But, you know, this is a live arm. This is a starter that we like a lot. And amongst the starter group, I think he's the guy, and I think you'll agree with me, that amongst the Talking Chop crew, that's the guy that we seem to like the most of the guys who were of likely picks. So where are you at with him? Out of all the legitimate likely picks that have a real chance of happening, he is definitely my favorite. I mean, a plus-plus fastball that has touched 101. He's got a pair of above-average pitches in the curve and the change. A slider, uh, he's seen major strides in his command this year. He used to have some command issues, but he's really made some big steps there. He's a little older at 22 years old. He's got some past injury questions, which if he does fall to the Braves, that would be a big part of why he fell. But it's hard to argue with a guy with that kind of upside falling to you that late in the first round, especially in a draft with so few consensus first round types yeah the talent is certainly first round and the, the injury concern i'm glad you mentioned this because like it's not like spencer schwellenbach doesn't have injury concerns of his own right like he's a guy that like you know that's kind of why like some of these talents are maybe available to the braves at 24 is that there's there, there are some warts there you wonder a little bit if the command improvement that he that matt williams made is that's going to stick in pro ball especially if you know he's kind of putting against you know higher levels of competition you know what does that mean in terms of how his approach to you know pitching guys is the talent is unde- the arm talent is undeniable but between like the like kind of the, the some in- injury concerns from the past combined with the command issues 
I know why he might be available at 24, but that, I, I would be thrilled to have him there because I think that in terms of like pure talent wise, it seems like he belongs in the first round. And, you know, for a, get, getting a guy who can throw that hard and really kind of do some real damage on the mound, I, I would be thrilled if he was there. I'm just a little skeptical that it ends up happening. I feel like there's some pretty smart teams that are drafting probably in the late teens to early twenties that I think might end up snatching him up. And that's going to be a really big bummer if that happens because I think he's actually quite good. Uh, another guy, it's a small score arm. And this is a guy that I don't think he's ever been like other than like Kylie's second round pick that he made in a mock this t- today he hasn't been actually mocked to the braves but he's been consistently mentioned to him and that's kai bush he's a small score out of st mary's uh, again consistently linked to the braves in mock drafts uh, and there's a chance we talked about a little bit about this is that you know if we're talking about that 15 to 50 range of like there's not a lot separating these guys and you know what ends up being the separator you know is it because he goes from a small school whether or not they they kind of believe what they've kind of seen in terms of you know the numbers he's put up and the level of competition you know like does he really get the swings and misses that he would get against higher levels of competition is his stuff that good you know that that might be why he might be available and there's a chance that he ends up as a second round pick but he's been consistently mocked not mocked but connected to the Braves as a possible target here in the first round so tell us a little bit about Kai so I'm just going to go ahead and state Garrett's comparison which I know won't make him many friends but uh Garrett compared him to uh, Sean Newcomb I don't really see it other than the big left-hander I mean he's 66240 and has a plus fastball so that is why he had some previous command issues, but really made major improvements there, and it's now actually an above-average command to go with that plus fastball. He's also got a swing and miss slider, an average changeup, and a usable curveball, but small school guy with the arsenal to start uh, from the left-hand side, a guy that can get it up to the mid to potentially upper 90s. So there's something to like. He's probably more of a number three to four starter, but in this draft, it's hard to really hate that profile. Especially when you consider that, you know, Kai, like there's some, maybe there's a chance that once he gets in some better coaching and maybe, you know, just some player development, that there might be some more there. With with that frame, you'd wonder like what he could end up being under the right circumstances under a professional environment too, right? So if he, he's definitely an interesting pick. And again, if he's a second round pick for the Braves, that's a big win. We we, we would take that as a, a big win in terms of that would happen. As a first round, he's an interesting choice. And again, that's kind of betting on your scouts being really right about the guy. And he's certainly gotten some mention at the bottom of the first round, but it seems like the ceiling for him is where the Braves pick. And if, you know, the Braves snatch him up, then they really see something interesting out of him. And for a small school guy, that's a pretty big bet to make, so we'll see. Uh, the next guy up is the third guy that was drafted, that was mocked to the Braves today. Uh, and that was, uh, UC Santa Barbara, uh, righty, uh, Michael McGreevy. Uh, again, consi- another guy, consistent and recent connections to the Braves. You know, he's been mocked to the Braves previously. And again, he's been kind of scattered all over the mocks. He's been mentioned in BA. He's been mentioned in Fangrafts. He's been mentioned, you know, all over the place. So this is a guy that we certainly think is a realistic possibility that the Braves could pick. You know, the guy has seen an uptick, uptick in his stuff. Uh, seems to throw a ton of, ton of, he's always thrown a ton of, ton of strikes which is certainly possible. And, you know, it seems like there's a lot of teams that, particularly those that are statistically oriented, that seem to really like the characteristics of his pitches. So tell us a little bit about McGreevy and where you're at with him. So I'm probably on the very low end on him. Uh, I don't really see a true plus pitch with him. Uh, the curveball flashes as an occasional plus pitch might get to plus 
But beyond that, the fastball is above average, uh, average slider, average change. It, he's really all about the command, which is plus two, plus plus, and his pitchability. Uh, really good numbers, but obviously smaller conference. It, it's just hard to really get excited about a guy in the first round that, a college guy that does not have a plus fastball. So that's kind of where I stand. Uh, and I don't know that he definitely develops a true plus pitch. So I think he's much more of a back-end starter with some ability to maybe be uh number four starter to me. Uh, maybe he grows into a little bit more velocity, but it, it, it's just not my favorite profile in a first round. Yeah, see, I'm a, I'm a little bit more bullish. I like the fastball better than you. I think that there's more to him, too. I think that, you know, with some better coaching, some refinements in his mechanics and things like that, he's a guy that I think could end up having that kind of that plus fastball. I don't think it gets much more than that. I think that he might get, has, like, another tick, right? And he might get another tick on some of these other pitches. But what I like is that he's able to get swings and misses in the strike zone and doesn't walk guys, which is – a tough thing to find these days, if you get swings and misses, a lot of times it's like guys who just kind of throw hard or have wipeout stuff. And if they can't, and they can't, if they can't land their pitches for strikes, when they go against the more advanced hitters, they have a really tough time and they have to really make major adjustments. And that's not something I necessarily worry about with McGreevy, right? Like I think that he's a guy that will get the sort of, will get the swings and misses in the zone that you're really wanting to see in this day and age because, you know, you want people to be able to respect the pitches that you're throwing to where you can kind of get those bad swings, particularly at the top of the zone. Overall, an interesting pick, a guy that like, Garrett's uh, uh, somewhat high on him too. So we're a little bit split on him, I think, with McGreevy. But overall, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, but there's certainly guys that, that we've mentioned already before, particularly Gavin Williams, that I'm higher on than him. Um, so let's get into uh, some bats. And there's kind of, to me, there, for the college bats, there's like there's Trey Sweeney and then there's everyone else, right? Um, Trey Sweeney has been connected to the Braves. He has not been mocked to the Braves. He's just been mentioned as like, if they go a bat, then Trey Sweeney is certainly an option. He's probably the best college bat, at least in my mind, that's going to be available uh, when the Braves pick. There's, you know, some people might be able to quibble as like, you know, who they like better than that. But for me personally, I like Sweeney. I think that he can stick at shortstop. I think that he'll, you know, he'll hit, he'll hit for power. I really, really like him. But you know, did play at a smaller school. He's one of the guys that we were talking about earlier that if there was a Cape Cod League could have really made a name for himself. And But honestly, if there was a Cape Cod League, based on everything we've heard and kind of you know, talking to some smart people, is that if there was a Cape, he probably wouldn't be available for the Braves to pick. He kind of would, might, probably would have played himself higher into the draft. But, you know, again, that's just kind of – that is where I am. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I would love to have him in the first round. Um what he's done in the last year where he's just really worked so hard to be able to hit at the higher level, add some power, and improve his defense enough where it's not likely he sticks at short, but he was guaranteed to not stick at short, and now he actually has some small percentage chance to do that, and that's all because of the work that he's put in in the last year. So that's always something good to get in your first-round pick. The hit tool is very legitimate. He's going to hit for average. He's going to draw walks. He's not going to strike out a lot. He's got some power in the bat. Uh, it's possible that you see a productive, everyday third baseman with a chance to be a little bit more than that. Yep, I, I agree. I agree with you more. I think I, I completely agree. Rather, it's uh, he's a again of the college bats. He's the one that's certainly the most appealing to me. Uh, the next group is kind of a group that. 
again, hasn't been mocked to the Braves, but it's kind of been mentioned as, you know, other options that the Braves could draft as college bats include these three guys. And that's generally like two of the three are usually mentioned. And that's Ethan Wilson, the outfielder out of South Alabama, Connor Norby, uh, the infielder, as well as second baseman Kyler Black. All three guys are other examples of guys that it sounds like, again, talking to just, you know, listening to like, the guys at Baseball America, whether it be Carlos Calazzo, Ben Badler, or you're listening to Kylie McDaniel, they, these are guys that if they had a chance to play at the Cape, it seems very likely that the data would have been very beneficial to them because they're already kind of putting up really decent like exit velocity numbers that are already readily available. Um, they all have some either like ballpark specific questions or level of comp- competition level questions. And again, the mentions to the Braves are very peripheral, and I think that Based on where the board lines up with the Braves, I don't think these picks are going to happen. But they're really interesting hitters in that, you know, they're not like, I mean, like, Ethan Wilson can legitimately rake, but he did it at South Alabama. But in Norby and Black's case, you wonder about the power going forward. You wonder about kind of, you know, like how how real the numbers are, you know. And again, it would have been nice to see them with a wood bat in their hands. So, but like, are do any of these guys stand out to you one way or the other? Yeah, Wilson definitely stands out to me the most. He's... An above average to maybe plus hitter with plus power. So I'm obviously drawn to the profile because that's going to be an impact bat. Obviously, he is a left field only prospect without much defensive value, does not run all that well. So all of his value, all of it is tied into that bat. So he's really going to have to perform with that bat to deliver on that first round pick. But he's got the ability with that bat to really deliver on it. Behind him, I would put uh, Connor Norby, second. He's not my favorite pick in the first round, I'll say that. But he's a plus hitter as well. He's got average power, an average runner, an average fielder at second base. Uh, Just a guy that can really hit the ball well. And East Carolina does a pretty good job of turning out solid prospects out of college and this is just another one of them along with Gavin Williams and it could actually be East Carolina's first ever potential two first round picks in the same year uh but he's a solid player I'd much rather get him in the second round but he wouldn't be my least favorite of the names mentioned in the first round even though he's not my favorite and then you have Tyler Black out of Wright State a guy who I don't think has a single plus tool his hit tool is probably above average and everything else the power the run the field and the arm are all fringy uh canadian kid who had a massive year this year for Wright state but obviously not just small competition he's an extreme extreme um hitter friendly park and if you look at his numbers compared to his teammate Quincy Hamilton, who's also in this draft and is more of a late day two, early day three type of player. Look at Quincy Hamilton's numbers. They're insane. Solid blacks. It it just goes to show you, if you're looking at numbers for analytics and comparing blacks numbers, there's really nothing all that special compared to his teammate, who is quite a bit later than the first round. So you can't overrate the numbers just because of the environment that he was in. Uh, your skepticism about the numbers is warranted because, again, Wright State's kind of a place where, you know, like it's a pretty hitter-friendly ballpark and, you know, it might be one of the most, like, 
hitter friendly ballparks in all of college baseball. Uh, but I will say this is that, you know, there's enough people who like know about the exit velocities that Black puts up and kind of his approach as a hitter. You, I think you really do underrate, uh, his, his hit tool. I think that, that the hit tool has a legitimate chance to be plus. And uh, the, the other tools, I don't, again, you, you, I don't call them fringe. I think they're more like, you know, like, you know, average, you know, it, after that, you kind of get getting into, you know, like how much you believe that there's actual real power output there. Um, you know, I don't think he's a particularly great runner. And I, the, the issue I have with Black is that it just seems like of the college hitters that are available, he seems the one that seems to be the least desirable. But I also think the guy can play. And there's plenty of smart people who have said as much. And again, another guy that has been specifically mentioned, like, again, Kylie, Carlos, that if he had gotten the cape and we got seen with a wood bat, we would have seen some impressive exit velocities. And I think he would have performed pretty well against uh, more advanced competition. We don't know that for sure, though. And so a certain amount of skepticism is warranted there. Uh, Matt's been pretty much on record that, you know, if the Braves take Tyler Black in the first round, it's like they're his least favorite option of, of the realistic options. They certainly could go way off the board and, you know, certainly make us go, what in the world's happening? But, you know, that's kind of his least favorite. I just think that there's better options options available than black but i do think that he's better than maybe what matt's record what what where, where matt is on him and i don't think that if the they braves take him it's because they go wow his numbers at right state were insane i think that they're gonna be much more kind of driven to kind of you know like more advanced analytics and just what his, his triple slash line is um so the next guy has been again he was mocked early to the braves in the pre-draft process, we've we've continued to hear him lately as like a potential option, but we haven't seen a mock to the Braves recently, and that's Wake Forest uh, Ryan Cusack, uh, Cusick rather. Um, again, still being mentioned by Fangraphs and, Bam- and Baseball America of late. Requires a little bit of projection, and it seems like teams that really like that have deep analytical models uh, regarding and they look at the quality of a t- guy's fastball and like the characteristics of it, not just how hard he throws it. Uh, they seem to really like that spin rate and what he has going on. Well, where are you at in Cusick? So I think a lot of the early mocking of him to the Braves was simply a little bit of a fairly lazy connection to last year's pick, Schuster. Obviously, Wake Forest guy. Wake Forest is a very analytics-friendly pitching place. So if you take one guy from there and like him, you're taking another guy from there who has some similar traits to him. So I think that's a lot of why they were connected to each other early. But uh, Cusick is just not a first-rounder to me. He's got a huge fastball that has, in the past, touched as high as 102. He's got the potential to have a plus curveball, but the rest of his profile is just terrifying. He has a changeup that is not just below average, but well below average, I'd say, uh, and doesn't really project to be great. Uh, command is... Below average, too. He's definitely uh, a guy that's more control over command and doesn't really have what it takes in him to be an average command guy. So really lacking that third pitch and the command, he just screams reliever to me. Uh, He could be a really good reliever, but I just can't buy into taking a reliever, a pure reliever, in the first round, because I really can't see much of a chance of him starting once he reaches the upper levels of the minor leagues. I think he has a chance at starting, and again, you have to kind of with with that with that with that sort of you look at the fastball and you go, okay, maybe that's that's the pitch that you know you kind of bank on and you kind of hope that you can teach him a change up. You can teach him that third pitch. You can teach him command. Maybe that they see it's possible that they see like you know this if they make, he makes this 
mechanical adjustment, then all of a sudden, like, the change-up's better, and the command's better, or the command's better, and then all of a sudden you have kind of a real starter on your hands. But kind of of the starting pitching options, I, I tend to agree with you, is that of the starting pitching options that are probably going to be available for the Braves, he's probably my least favorite. But I do like the live arm, and I, with a live arm, I'm willing to give a certain amount of credence to where if you have a guy that's throwing tri- triple digits and has a good breaking ball, maybe you can just have him figure things out. And you know, I will get, you know, I'll give the Braves credit where credit is due is that when they've seen guys that have potentially high level stuff, and like I mean, Spencer Strider was like that with us. We were we kind of like all four of us when we when they picked Strider, we're like we didn't even realize he was going to get picked in this draft, and we thought he was dead set on as a reliever between his injury history, you know, the lack of the third pitch, et cetera, et cetera. And now Spencer Strider is probably going to be a consensus. I would say by the end of the year he's going to be a consensus top 100 prospect. Now projecting that for Cusick is obviously not fair, but you know, if the Braves pick him again, I, I will give them some of the benefit of the doubt for going after a live arm. It, it's not like going after an, like a guy throwing 90, 91 like sinkers and, you know, like pitches to contact and he has to really hope that the def- defense is behind him is going to be good. Cause what's going to happen in the minor leagues is that the lower minors, the defense is not going to be good and the hitters are going to be better. And that's not a really good combination. But in this particular case, you know, if they go for, if they go for him, like it's a bet and you're certainly having to hope that you can really develop him a bit. But where the Braves are picking, you know, you can't, you're not going to get the super polished guy that's just going to rocket up their, your system right away. You're going to have to kind of, maybe, if you're going to take a little bit of risk, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, next up, go, next I up. We'll we have, say I don't love the comparison to Strider just because Strider was a fourth round pick and Cusick would potentially Well, I, be... I, I, I understand, Matt, but my problem is, is that, that my point is, I guess, is that, you know, guys who we think have reliever profiles in general, the Braves have been pretty good about eyeballing and understanding that what they look for in a guy that they could potentially convert into a starter. Not that, you know, I, I understand where the, you, you'd be fine if Cusick was a, a fourth round pick, but my point yeah. being is that the Braves have a bit of a history of being able to identify guys that have some reliever risk. And again, Strider still has that. He still has reliever risk in him. Let's be, let's make no mistake. He's as good as he's been. That could still be, that's still on the table. Um, now, that that relief arm would be really fun to watch because I'm not sure what he could be holding back in the tank and really what would he look like if he was just letting things loose in an inning at a time. But my point being is that there, there is a certain amount of ability of this front office to identify guys that can maybe overcome some of that reliever risk, at least in the, at least for now. And I'm, again, I'm, it's not the guy that I'm sold on at all. I certainly like the better some of the better some of the arms better than we've already talked about than him. But I, I kind of. I'm not, I'm not going to kill them if they go after him, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, so now we're going to get into some prep guys. And one is a guy that I just frankly don't see him making it to the Braves. Uh, and, you know, despite him being a local product, it sounds like that even if he's available, it's not like a, a sure thing that they actually would pick him, which is kind of surprising to me. Uh, and that was, again, coming from Kylie. It's just that, you know, because I, I asked him specifically about Chandler. Uh, Bubba Chandler is who we're talking about. He's a local um, kid uh, out of Georgia where he – is both a pitcher as well as a shortstop. He's a Clemson commit as to be their quarterback as well. Uh, that was my biggest concern is that, you know, whether that, co- that college commitment to Clemson was going to be the problem. But it sounds like as long as he's picked in the first round, he's, he's certainly very signable. But it sounds like that even if the, he's there, the Braves don't seem like it's not certainly not guaranteed to pick him. So talk to me a little bit about Bubba Chandler and where you're at. So the thing with Bubba Chandler is he is a legitimate prospect, both as a right-handed pitcher and a shortstop. I personally prefer him better as a pitcher. He's got that potential to have a plus fastball, plus curveball with a 
average change, average control. So it profiles well into a starter as a bat. Uh, I think he's got the potential to be an average hitter with average to slightly above power because he makes good contact, makes regular hard contact. He's an above average athlete, good runner, decent fielder, big arm, obviously, since he's such a good uh, pitcher. But you're also talking about significant, significant gains to be made because once he goes pro in baseball, not only are you dropping going both ways, but you're dropping football. And he's a significant Clemson commit in football. He's a four-star so as a quarterback. So there's obviously a ton of time spent on the football side of things in addition to pitching or hitting that he won't do anymore. So there's a lot of gains to be made with him where I think he could really see himself take off. I think the Braves do really like him, but just like what Eric said, I don't think if he's there, he's definitely a sure thing to be a pick, whereas a guy like a Harry Ford, who I really don't expect to be there, would be almost impossible to pass up. I don't think Chandler is that type of prospect in this class where he would have to be the pick if he's there, but I think he would at least be a strong consideration. Yeah, he's definitely an interesting prospect. And a guy that I thought that if the Braves saw him there, that they would snap pick him up. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. Uh, I think that, I, I mean, and I, from what uh, Kylie was saying is that it seems like amongst teams picking in the first round, like two-thirds pick, prefer him on the mound, one-third prefer him as a shortstop. I like having that kind of athleticism as an everyday player, which is why I kind of generally lean towards liking him as a shortstop. But, you know, the, there's no question that the guy has a, a good arm and, you know, I, I think that there's a reason why there's so many teams. And it sounds like that includes the Braves that they prefer him as an arm. Now, is he a guy that you necessarily want to make that make with your pick at 24? Because might, he might not be the cheapest, and maybe you have other things that you want to do. It's kind of a tough profile. We'll see. But um, let's talk a little bit about two interesting prep guys who, again, have only been kind of referenced on the periphery a bit, but are kind of guys that we've liked a lot, We you know, so I, I, we certainly know that they're on the Braves' radar as players, but kind of tell me a little bit about Tyler Whitaker and Lonnie White Jr. and kind of, you know, as like potential weird, like let's get weird kind of picks that could possibly be either in the first round or maybe overslot plays in the second round. So these are obviously two of my favorite potential draft picks, not just among the favorites, but overall in the entire class. Whitaker's a guy I've been high on forever at this point since he was an underclassman. He's a guy that is the son of a guy that's well-known out in Nevada, in the Nevada prep baseball scene. So he's always had that little extra coaching and really uh, done a lot with it. He's shown a great ability to adapt, make changes, and just uh, keep on improving himself. Former shortstop, moved to third base, and now he's at the point where he's going to be an outfielder. Whether he plays in center field or right field is more of the question mark because he's got plus-plus speed, but he's also got a huge, huge arm. So he profiles very well in either spot. Uh, as a hitter, he's got plus power. Uh, the hit tool was definitely below average to fringy around this time last year. He didn't really have the best WWBA with the wood bats, but he spent the winter working on the hit tool really really remade his swing and approach and started to hit very well this spring because of that. Uh, he's a guy that if the Braves want him, they have to take him at 24 
because the team right behind them is Oakland, and he put on a show for Oakland's front office, for the higher-ups in that front office, just hitting bombs, running sub-4.0 times to first base. So he's not a guy that you could possibly get anywhere other than the first round, no matter where you see him ranked in any rankings, because he will not fall to that second-round pick, and there's no reason for a guy like him to. The other guy that we mentioned is Pennsylvania State um, outfielder Lonnie White, a guy who I actually saw well, two commit. years ago. He's, well, he's a commit. He's not, he doesn't well, play for Penn State. No, I didn't say that. He, he He's a Pennsylvania outfielder, as in the state he's from, Melbourne yeah. Prep. Okay. He, he, he's he, a Penn he, State he, commit, he, but he's not. You, you mean State Penn. And that's as a, I'm a Pitt football fan, which I don't know if everybody knows, but to be able to steal away one of the state Penn football top four-star recruits would be a huge win. I mean, I also love him as a baseball prospect in addition to that. But you're talking about a guy with the ability to hit for both average and power, a, a power-speed guy, a guy is just very well-rounded. He's a three-sport athlete right now. He's also a basketball player. So you drop that significant football commitment, and you also drop basketball, have them focus full-time on baseball, let that athleticism and just ability with the bat work. And I think there's just a lot of untapped potential in a guy like that, in addition to being a cold-weather prospect who, in general, always have a little bit more that they're able to um, bring out once they move into full-time baseball with the pro system. But uh, there's just a lot to like with him. Uh, he won't be cheap because you are obviously buying a Pennsylvania kid out of a Penn State football commitment. But whatever his price is, uh, if the Braves are able to afford him, it, he would definitely be worth it. Yeah, and he's a guy that's specifically mentioned as a guy that if the Braves were able to save some money with their first-round pick, that he is a guy that they could put, they potentially would like to target as kind of an overslot second-round pick. We'll see if that actually you know comes to fruition, especially since it doesn't sound like that the Braves are alone in liking Wally White Jr. and maybe thinking of him as a potential overslot option. And with some teams that have some real money, uh, bonus pool-wise, that the, he, the Braves not might be in the best position to do that. But we'll see what happens with it. Uh, but let's, Matt, let's just go ahead and close this thing out. Give us a name of like three guys with kind of like a brief sort of synopsis of them that we think that on days two and three, the Braves could end up targeting. So day two, day three, I think um, a lot of, I think they're most definitely going to end up taking an arm or two or three. Uh, I think they're also, they've been focused on so many toolsy prep outfielders that I think they're a near lock to end up taking one or two of those. A guy like Malachi Knight uh, out of the state of Washington is a guy that fits that bill. Um, he's definitely a guy I know the Braves have at some point looked into. So he'd be a very good candidate in the second round. Can't really see a guy like that slipping into the third round. And if he does, can't really see him being all that affordable as he falls that far if that was to happen. A uh, guy that I had liked, the pitcher, would have been Dylan Ross, but uh, hearing a little bit more now that I don't believe he'd be signable uh, as we start to move into day two and day three, so he'd be off the board. Uh, another Washington State prospect, uh, prep arm right-hander Max Debeck, a uh, guy that I would have loved in the second round a couple of weeks ago, but in the last couple of weeks he's actually undergone Tommy John surgery, 
but uh, you're talking about a big, athletic, six seven kid with a ton of projection left, and a guy that has brought it up to the upper 90s last year, basically out of nowhere at the perfect game nationals. So that's just another player that I would just love to see them get. And a local kid that I really believe in, shortstop Ryan Spikes, doesn't have the best on-paper tools, but I actually caught him in Boston at the Future Stars International Week. Uh, just gets the most out of everything. He compares a lot to Ryan Bliss out of Auburn. Uh, I think he's potentially a little bit better all-around player. I think he's got a little bit more pop in his bat than Bliss does. Obviously, a little less safety because he's coming from the high school where Bliss had a couple of years in the SEC. But he, he just gets everything out of him. He just plays so hard. And he's a two-way guy right now who will eventually most likely settle in and see some gains in his hitting as he drops pitching. But if he did go to college, obviously, he would be a two-way player. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for this particular episode. Don't worry, though. You're going to be getting plenty of content out of us. Uh, After each day of the draft, there will be an episode of Road to Atlanta where we discuss the picks made. That means you'll have an episode on Sunday night. You know, not exactly sure how long that would be because we're only going to be talking about one player in particular. But, you know, we're going to have an episode after day one. We're going to have an episode after day two. And we're going to have an episode after day three, which is going to be kind of talking about the day three picks as well as kind of rounding out the draft class and what our overall thoughts process, thought process is and kind of going forward and so what we think about it. So this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of work for us. So, you know, obviously be patient with us as we're trying to get all this content out for you guys. But we're really looking forward to the draft. I think I speak for Matt that, the, that we're really kind of looking forward to kind of getting back to some level of normalcy with the draft, being able to kind of add guys to the system, really kind of get getting back into the nitty-gritty of amateur baseball and the, the entirety of the talent pipeline for the Braves. It's going to be a lot of fun. Certainly going to be a lot of work, but we're certainly looking forward to doing it for you guys. Make sure you're following the podcast at Road, the number two Atlanta on tw- on Twitter. Make sure you're following the site at Talking Chop. Make sure you're what reading the site. And if you haven't been subscribed to the podcast feed, make sure you go on iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever. Look for the Talking Chop pod- podcast stream. Not only do you get this podcast to get all your minor league goodies, but you also get the flagship program of the Talking Chop podcast that is hosted by the great Brad Roland who is, uh, recently, uh, has relinquished his role as the, uh, Hawks writer of record at Peachtree Hoops. Uh, really looking forward to kind of seeing him actually get a little bit of sleep. Uh, he'll still be doing Hawks stuff, but he'll, maybe he'll actually get to, you know, spend some time, you know, actually enjoying, you know, things like sleep and being able to eat for longer than 30 minutes at a time. So really, really make sure you take a look at that podcast. He does a great job with it. I'm a regular appear, I make regular appearances over there as well. Thank you all so much for all the support. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.